you're looking to change things up in your classroom. You'd like to see more student participation and interest, or you really need a better way to tap into each student's individual abilities. Maybe you're happy with everything in your classroom and you're just that teacher who will stop at nothing to provide the very best opportunities for your students so you're always open to hear more good news. Well, let me personally welcome you to the Student-Centered Science Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Carosis. I'm a secondary science teacher with 11 years experience teaching at-risk students in a distance learning cyber model. And yet, I've realized success in my efforts to plan for and execute student-centered learning. See, I believe that a science teacher's job goes beyond transferring specific content knowledge. Rather, I believe our duty is to prepare students for life beyond our walls, to help develop them into informed, active members of society who can confidently make all kinds of decisions. So on this podcast, our discussions will focus on strategies to promote active learning in the classroom and their outcomes, as well as creating and nurturing a culture that enables students to take ownership of their learning by planning next steps and implementing our feedback. Here, we believe that our classrooms are learning laboratories, not just for students, but also for teachers. You'll always get encouragement to keep on experimenting because what you do and how you do it matters. Let's jump into today's topic. It's my goal today to convince you that technology is a cornerstone of student-centered learning and science in our modern society. But first, this self-proclaimed tech guru wants you to know that this past week, I discovered a huge error on my website, one that might be impacting you. I'm not sure I've ever mentioned it before, but I am a one-woman show over here. I write and produce the podcast, publish lessons and supporting educational products for sale, market my little business, and serve as a webmaster for the Lab in Every Lesson website. I actually love learning all these new things. I experience very little frustration working it all out. But that doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes along the way. That's learning after all, right? In several podcast episodes and in the show notes of each episode, I've encouraged my listeners who love what they hear to share a review or a social shout out. I've directed you to the podcast area of my website where I offer a free lesson product as a gift for doing so. As it turns out, The form isn't showing these days. I can't find the source of the problem, and I need to connect with a true professional on the issue. But please check back soon to learn when it's ready for your kind words. I've heard from several of you individually, and the word that keeps coming up in communications with some listeners is the word inspiring. Thank you so much for that. Knowing I'm not only giving you helpful, actionable information, but also supporting you with the confidence to move forward at any rate, slow or full speed ahead, hits the nail on the head for me. I'm inspiring you, and knowing that motivates me to bring you more. So please do share those reviews to help grow the community of science teachers seeking a full, seeking to fulfill deeper, 
more meaningful goals than just proficient test scores. And if you don't teach chemistry, don't discount that gift I'll send you in return. When the website works again, that is, many of my lessons are versatile and could be applied to different science courses. Ah, now, you might have chosen this episode to listen to with the expectation that I'd share for you the best technology for student-centered learning in science. Unfortunately, you're not going to get that today. Sure, I'll give you some examples of my favorite technologies, but the fact is that I can't possibly know the best because there are just so many out there. Each and every day, I swear I discover yet another amazing tool I'd love to try. The other thing, they all have a unique and focused purpose. So I'd rather spend my time with you today describing five ways that the integration of select technology in general is going to leverage your attempt to create a more student-centered classroom environment. And guess what? These five ways span every aspect of your job as a teacher, from content area expert to social emotional support and family connection extraordinaire. Let's start with using technology to deliver instruction. Now, if this is the first episode of the podcast you've heard, you should know that this is my 12th year as a cyber school science teacher. If, when you learn that, you're inclined to assume that means I'm a technology pro just because that's how I connect with my students every day, you wouldn't be wrong. While I do consider myself advanced on the spectrum of technologically savvy and capable, I can assure you that I have some colleagues who've worked in the same role as long as me who don't hold the same opinion on the role of technology in the classroom. Everything is what we make it, friends. For me, I've chosen to embrace the opportunity and explore the possibilities that my unusual learning model presents. That has meant leaning heavily on technology, not only to connect with my students, but also to deliver my content in a meaningful and lasting way. Truly, it was only after I created this library of lessons that I realized how my content, chemistry content, couldn't be better delivered with a hands-on experience. Yes, you heard that right. Chemistry content couldn't be delivered better with a hands-on experience. Not to get to those core ideas, anyway. If you are new here, you'll definitely want to go back and listen to the episode about creating learning experiences for student-centered learning for a more detailed account of why and how technology makes constructivist learning models more accessible. Things like active learning, discovery learning, inquiry learning, the 5e lesson plan. For now though, I'll remind my existing audience that the lab in every lesson chemistry curriculum relies on technology to provide students with access to virtual explorations which allow them to answer a series of guided questions. In essence, to promote the uncovering of the main ideas or answers to essential questions related to the lesson being delivered. Instead of telling students what we need them to know, covering the content and showing them what they need to do, students learn through experience. 
much like they had throughout their entire childhood and adolescence. Identifying technology that promotes or facilitates this type of learning doesn't only communicate content-specific knowledge. It promotes practice with the scientific method. We create masters of the scientific method. In Pennsylvania, where I teach, there's a single standard relating to practicing the scientific method. It's called science as inquiry. Some specific goals within this standard include comparing and contrasting scientific theories or examining the status of those theories. Knowing that both direct and indirect observations are used by scientists to study the natural world and universe. Evaluating experimental information for relevance and adherence to science processes. Identifying questions and concepts that guide scientific investigations. Formulating and revising explanations and models using logic and evidence. Recognizing and analyzing alternative explanations and models. Explaining the importance of accuracy and precision in making valid measurements. Judging that conclusions are consistent and logical with experimental conditions. Interpreting results of experimental research to predict new information, propose additional investigatable questions, or advance a solution. And finally, communicating and defending scientific arguments. Now, do hands-on activities and experiments satisfy these criteria? Heck yes! Is it realistic for you to deliver them every day? Maybe so, maybe not. It would depend, I suppose, on how many hours you're willing to stay after school to prepare those tangibles for hands-on exploration every day. It might also depend on your school's budget, or your own budget for that matter, since so many schools don't have the resources to support individual classroom initiatives in that way. Technology that's free and plentiful enough for each and every student to interact with is perfectly suited to practice the scientific method every day. That is, of course, if your school provides one-to-one -one devices, computers, or tablets. I'm talking to you here in 2021, near, near post-pandemic, and it's my understanding that school districts received so many funds that were used to secure technology and be more proactive in planning the future for ongoing quarantines and other situations that could arise um, and ultimately result in learning loss when students need to be away from the classroom. Some of my favorite providers of technology that encourages student exploration include FET from the University of Colorado at Boulder, ck12.org, the Concord Consortium's STEM Resource Finder, and simbucket.org. Simbucket.org. They just collect donations. I, I understand that there are just a few science teachers who have some really awesome computer programming skills, but their stuff is awesome in terms of not just exploration, but also ongoing um, big picture kind of understanding as well. They're great 
small in the world of small company versus big giant corporation they are the small company uh, and like i said i think they're not for profit they just collect donations they're awesome i also really love legends of learning but much of their content is gamified and focused on increasing interest and engagement among middle school age students i use only one of their um, applications in my lessons that I prepare and sell and even use with my own students. But certainly if I was working with some younger students, it would definitely be a go-to for me. Now certainly Zoom, Google Meets, Microsoft Teams, and related video conferencing tools are useful for actually connecting with students virtually. That's not really the focus of my conversation with you today though. We want to focus on strategies we can use to provide quality instruction, even at a distance. So because I have a pretty lengthy podcast episode just on learning experiences, if you want to know more about that, I would um, definitely check out that episode. For now, I'm going to move on to the second way you can use technology to leverage student-centered learning, and that's to support, use it to support ongoing practice. Once students have found their way through the content, uncover ideas related to the standards, once they've got the concepts, they often need to practice standard-based skills. In chemistry, they'll need to determine the number of subatomic particles in an atom, write electron configurations for the first 20 elements, correctly draw Lewis structures for small molecules, and solve stoichiometry problems. In biology, though, students might need to arrange living organisms according to their kingdom and species or solve Punnett squares to predict the outcome of genetic combinations. These skills I'm referring to are going to be represented on assessments. They're those DOK level two. Can you apply your understanding now to a specific problem or a specific system? And they might not just be on your assessments. They might be during class time as well. Um, your class assignments, your class assessments, and then maybe perhaps on state assessments that might qualify students for graduation. Here in Pennsylvania, we have what's called a Keystone exam, and students in algebra, biology, and first level English, high school English, need to take um, a corresponding test. So they don't have one for chemistry, but the biology teachers are always under the heat <laughs> for making sure they can complete those problems, solve those problems correctly. Mastery of these standard-based content skills is critical because as teachers, we're so often judged uh, and our instruction judged according to their success in those tests. And that's why I'm sure to ensure, certain to always include this type of practice at the end of each one of my interactive science lessons super important uh, to connect concept to practice. But for so many years, I struggled with how to encourage my students to complete drill-type skill practice. As those of us who have acquired highly specialized scientific certifications know very well, it's this continual or repetitive skill practice that creates familiarity and builds student confidence in their own abilities. In my virtual school, students won't often complete work that isn't graded on account of the fact that there's no incentive to do so. 
like when I went to school, you know, not exactly a dinosaur, but it feels that way. <laughs> Teachers said do the homework. You just did the homework. And maybe every once in a while you didn't do the homework. But you didn't see a breakdown of every homework score. You know, you just did it. And there is no such thing as that right now for me and my students. <clears throat> but as a teacher who's trying to promote growth mindset, I don't really even want to score skill practice. It's part of the learning process in my mind and from my perspective. Technology apps provide me with the opportunity to assign practice that I can score based totally on completion, no matter the relative success or struggle that students experience with the problems in the practice set. So they might hand it in and show me they got 50% and the little gauge on the program I use tells me they are developing this skill. Hey, that's okay for me. You took the time to do the practice and that's what's important. Now with two grade school boys at home, second grade and fourth grade, if you indulge me a little bit, I step away from my science teacher hat and put on my mommy hat. I can share that a great deal of the elementary curriculum they encounter, even in their traditional brick and mortar school, requires the use of technology for ongoing skill practice in math, in grammar, in phonics, and in spelling. They tell me they spend most of their day on their Chromebooks in a variety of programs. Some of them they love because they're able to earn rewards or level up in a game. Others they hate because they're just so fundamentally academic in nature or focus entirely on fluency of skills. Why am I bothering sharing this? I am, in fact, trying to speak directly to and connect with middle school and high school teachers. So what does it matter <laughs> what the elementary students are doing? Well, first, I want you to know, if you don't already, the use of technology is now pretty commonplace in classrooms. And second, the students who you don't yet know, but are on their way to you, have been accustomed to learning with and through technology. So, you know, we're in this situation where, again, when they're younger, they learn through experience, they learn through doing. Teachers are mostly interested in their observations and their expression of what they see. And then, boom, somewhere along the way, middle school, high school, we get to a place where all that matters is your test score. And we let the rest go by the wayside. We do that observation thing once a week, maybe twice a week. Same thing with technology, if you're not using it. They're coming up through the grades. They're used to doing uh, math, especially math, math skill practice in the computer. And then they get to science and it's all paper and pencil. So if only for the, for the argument of maintaining consistency and using what they already know and are familiar with, isn't it a great thing to adopt technology in this way? And finally, do I really need to say it? Given the challenges we faced in 2020 and 2021 so far with regard to in-person learning, technology allows us to adapt on a whim. Its flexibility and convenience allows us to deliver meaningful learning and practice in person or virtually, in small groups or to individuals. Now, as to my favorites for skill practice, 
I personally have come to love, love, love the adaptive skill practice sets on ck12.org. Now again, I teach chemistry and they cater heavily to science and math, um, but I'm speaking to science teachers, so this is all for you. I can also tell you that there is a range of abilities there. There's a range of resources. It's not just chemistry, physics, and biology. There's plenty of middle school science sprinkled in there as well. Honors level stuff, maybe even AP, just simply amazing. As part of my annual evaluation in the state of Pennsylvania, I often need to complete what's called a differentiated project. Um, last year, I focused my project topic on the integration of this practice set in CK12 into my chemistry curriculum to complement my student-centered instructional approach. If you'd like to take a look at the specifics of that project, I've put the link to it in the show notes. Psst. <laughs> show notes are located in the description of the podcast episode on whichever app you're listening to it. If you can't find it where you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, whatever, you can visit this episode on my website to find it. And it has a separate page and some text down underneath. You wouldn't want to necessarily or need to replicate most of what's in my project since it deals with, in large part, how to connect it to an uncommon learning management system and how it was graded and things like that. But if you use any of the most popular LMSs, like Schoology or Canvas or Google Classrooms, your integration really should be effortless. Other great options that allow you to use existing practice sets in their library or create your very own include Quizlet, Formative, Socratic, Kahoot, and Quizzes. I did that kind of fast. Let's try again. Quizlet, Q-U-I-Z-L-E-T, Formative, Socratic, S-O-C-R-A-T-I-C, Kahoot, I hope everybody knows Kahoot, so fun, and Quiz Is, that's spelled with two Z's, I think at the end, Q-I-Q-U-I-Z-I-Z-Z. -Z -Z. The best of these options, any skill practice platform, is going to allow students to identify their mistakes and correct them throughout the course of the practice set, or even maybe receive hints when they struggle with a particular concept or standard. Remember, the student-centered goals, goals related to student-centered learning, are all about supporting students as they do the hard work of learning and giving them the tools to steer the ship. Moving on now from delivering learning experiences and practice to assessing understanding. Guess what? Most programs that can be used for skill practice can also be adjusted to assess understanding and deliver assessments. I'll take this opportunity, though, to highlight book widgets as an exemplary option for creating secure assessments while retaining the ability to customize a range of features not only regarding the type of questions that can be asked and problems that can be solved, but in a host of unique administrative ways. I don't personally use book widgets to deliver assessments in my own classroom because I have to use my school-issued platform for doing so. 
but I will be building all of my homework and test assessments in book widgets as I prepare to offer a complete chemistry curriculum sometime later, 2022. The advantage here, guys, a no-brainer. Decrease your grading time and provide valuable feedback in a quick and easy way. With regard to student-centered benefits, eh, Perhaps, if the assessment is connected to an LMS or stored in a cloud, the ability for students to learn and reflect on their scores or specific feedback to their responses on an assessment as soon as they're evaluated and published allows them some additional aspect of control over the learning process. Now, I am an affiliate for Book Widgets because I've built my curriculum with the product and personally love it so much. What that means is that in addition to earning a portion of the subscription sales of the product, I also partner with them to provide teachers with unique opportunities to try the product. So also, fun nugget today in the episode, in the show notes, again, scrolling down on my website um, episode page or in your Apple podcast description of this episode, Google Play, wherever you're listening, is a link, and this link can be used to redeem an additional 30 days free on the platform. Wait now, to be clear, Book Widgets already offers a 30-day trial for new accounts. Connecting using this link would permit you an additional 30 days. That's 60 days total free to test drive the technology before committing to an ongoing subscription. It's super important for me to bring this to you all because I carry on about it so much and they know that and I'm sure they're grateful. But um, when we're trying new technology, you never, me too, you never want to jump in completely headfirst, especially making that financial commitment unless you're really sure not only that it's something that's useful, but something that you personally can see your way through and manage and uh, that you're that you're sure you're going to use in the long term. And I think, you know, giving you that extra intro period is, is very helpful in that regard. Okay, so we've got delivering learning experiences, providing skill practice, and assessing student learning. Let's move to using technology to create a catalog of student work and using technology to communicate with students and families. These two are gonna kinda meld together in in one piece here, and I'll talk about them both at one time. Think about it. What science teacher doesn't want their students to keep a science notebook detailing their investigations? For that matter, what scientists don't keep a science notebook detailing their investigations? Um, none. (laughs) Zero, zip, nada. Remember, student-centered learning in science has students emulating the work of real scientists, complete with notebooking practices. Cloud-based technology allows us to do that now. And, oh yeah, email might be an antiquated way of communing with students and families. Did you know that? I realize some teachers create social accounts on Facebook, Twitter, or more school and family-friendly platforms, 
but there are a number of programs that facilitate communication between students and families and ex as an extension of the learning experience or skill practice or assessment features they offer. You know, just talked about it, my go-to technology for achieving this is book widgets. I'm a value-oriented girl at heart, can't seem to shake it. So if I can find a single thing that does it all, or at least most of what I need, I don't mind paying a subscription fee or a one-time fee. I liken it to elementary school teachers purchasing crayons and folders for their classroom kiddos. Just because I'm a cyber school teacher doesn't mean there's no way for me to augment school resources. Now, Book Widgets isn't going to create a folder or journal in the cloud for your students. However, assuming you enable the feature, students can download their work and keep it in folders on their computer as a digital collection to refer back to. This is what I recommend my students do. Teachers can also provide feedback to students directly through the program via email when students are rostered in the program. So it does entail adding your class lists in there. That's always something you want to probably um, receive authorization for from leaders in your district administration for privacy reasons. Honestly, that's something I just realized this year. <laughs> I kind of had this... Someday I'll do a podcast episode on it, but I have a lot of research to do with privacy and technology uh, in schools. I, there's all this technology out there. I thought I could just pick and choose what I want to use and then go. But my school has now grown a list of prohibited programs. And I am shocked, shock and awe about some of the programs that are on there. Um, so, you know, just a disclaimer as I'm talking about technology and encouraging you to incorporate it if you don't or to incorporate it more if you have it just sprinkled in, do be aware that your school might have some policies surrounding it. And if you don't currently use them or you're not familiar with those policies, it's probably something you should do before moving on. Now, something new I'm using in my classroom this year is Seesaw. Seesaw does operate on cloud-based technology. Activities students complete on the platform are curated into a journal that builds over time. Not only does this complement students' ability to monitor their own learning and receive feedback, it also enables them to respond to feedback. You can have this ongoing conversation with students about their work, about their understanding. When you work in a distance program like I do, that's critical. But in a classroom environment, you may not have the opportunity during class, you know, I'm talking to you, middle school, high school teachers, you only see one group of students for maybe 50 minutes a day, an hour, maybe an hour and a half, 90 minutes if you're working on a block schedule or something. You may not have the opportunity to comment thoroughly on everybody's everything every day, but maybe you can block off a half an hour for that at the end of the day or during your prep to go through everyone's work and see what they did and, and create those connections. And that's how I use it. It allows me to look back at specific assignments for specific students at any point throughout the school year. And as I understand it, Seesaw is marketed to elementary teachers more heavily than secondary teachers. I could have that wrong, but if you go to their website, you're probably going to see little kids, <laughs> videos of little kids doing their thing. I know my son in fourth grade used it. I know they used it in kindergarten. 
And in those environments, it was heavily about connecting with families. You know, I get to see what they do every day. Um, but maybe we didn't, maybe that's not our focus in middle and high school. Let me just tell you that this year, it's saved me in a major way. My cyber school removed our collaborative meeting software, which had so much functionality. Most of the functionality I used to deliver my lessons and created a really very super stressful onboard to the school year. Seesaw hasn't disappointed me yet, though, in its versatility as a substitute. And I really feel strongly that it complements student-centered learning in its very design. And the sheer number of ways you can customize the experience and the outcomes. Related lesson design, objectives, the whole kit and caboodle. It has the added benefits of accessibility and convenience in the form of an app available on Android and Apple devices. Now, my students, you know, they're like, ooh, it's on the app. And I'm meeting with them on the computer and they're saying, can I complete this on the app? And all I can imagine is their little big fat fingers on this little tiny phone. And I'm wanting them to write me a paragraph and they're trying to do that in Seesaw. And so, as is the way for my cyber school, I say, you may do what you feel most comfortable with. However, I would highly recommend you do it on the computer just because of the nature of work I assign. Um, it's not like they're going to be taking selfie videos and, and talking on this, on this platform. I really want them to do some hard work and some skill practice right in there. The family sharing feature also is especially unique in Seesaw and could prove helpful in your efforts to keep parents and guardians informed of student progress. My son's teachers have used this throughout elementary school. Speaking as a parent, it is so great to see the fruits of their efforts in the palm of my hand. All right, now to wrap it up a little bit. We've hit those five areas. If you've listened all the way through and you call yourself a technology noob. That's gamer speak, by the way. My young boys, are they're gamers. They're self-proclaimed gamers. Um, means newbie. Noob equals newbie. If you're a self-proclaimed technology noob, consider integrating technology for just one of these purposes at a time. Maybe this month you're going to do some learning experiences using technology, and next month you'll throw in some skill practice. Maybe the month after that you'll do a test using technology. You know, as you become comfortable, add one more in. And no one's saying you got to do it all in a year either. You can always focus on one aspect each year. Baby steps are always fine. As I discussed in last week's episode, there can be so much to juggle with the planning, prep, and delivery of interactive science lessons for student-centered learning. You wouldn't want to overload yourself with too much new too fast. Unless, of course, your personality that thrives on the challenge. You want to focus on the heart of it and making learning meaningful. And then all this other stuff can, can trickle in to help you out. If you're the opposite, if you think you're a tech guru, then go out. Sign up for a bunch of these apps and maybe more. Play around, see what fits you and your students best. But your classroom 
B, your learning laboratory. I hope you're learning something from me here, but you'll learn more trying things there. Before you go, don't forget to skim the show notes. For those special extras I'm offering today, visit my website, www.labineverylesson.com to share your review of the podcast if you're loving it. Oh, oh, since I talked with you last, I actually gave my main page on the website a little facelift. Let me know what you think. Connect with me and a growing community of science teachers at community.labineverylesson.com. And I'll meet you back here next week.